You know, we just sang, we will sing for all the things that he has done for us. But, you know, we have no clue all the things that he's done for us. We have an idea, but it's kind of like an iceberg. You know, when you see an iceberg, you just see 10% that shows. And God is doing so much more than we could ever, ever comprehend or imagine. And you know what? It's all good. God is so good. Thank you, Lord, for being so good to us. If we have any children in here from four years old to sixth grade, they need to head over, if they want to, to the rainforest. Uh, seventh grade through 12th is over to the Quest Wing. The rest of you that don't qualify for either of those directions, take a few minutes and greet one another and you can be seated. You know, as we sang this morning that portion of the last song, you uh, take our chaos and put it back in order, bring it back to order. You know, that's something that's so, so important in these days because things can get a little chaotic. Things are moving at pretty quick paces. And, and uh, I find myself at moments being surprised by things, being shocked by things, uh, wanting to be overwhelmed by things, but in that moment, I have a decision. You know, what am I going to look at? What am I going to trust in? And, and knowing that we've been learning about hope and how uh, God is the God of all hope and how he fills us with joy and peace that we would abound to even more hope as we believe. Man, there has never been a time that there is more need for hope. And when I say that, I, I'm... I know that we all have an idea of what hope is, and uh, when you're talking to somebody, if you aren't in church and you're on the street and, and uh, they say, well, I hope this, uh, we know that it's a questionable outcome. You know, maybe it will, maybe it won't. This is what I want, but I'm not sure it's going to be. And that's not what the Bible talks about when it talks about hope. In, in our foundational scripture uh, in Romans chapter 15, verse 13, uh, it talks about the God of hope, and hope there is a confident expectation of good. There is no place and no time and no one we can be confident of good all the time in every situation except for God, because God is good. But we find ourselves in a world that's not full of hope. We find ourselves in a world full of discouragement and depression and, and people despairing because of the chaos, because of the uncertainty. And uh, the Bible has, has told us uh, it says, why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. And that, that, those words downcast means exactly that, to be depressed, to be discouraged, to be despairing. And it says, listen, this is what we're going to have in this world. But put your confident expectation in God. 
When we have a confident expectation in God, we are hope-filled. There is a peace and a joy that we have in spite of circumstances and situations because that hope is, is what God has as an antidote for all the things that we experience in this world that would cause us to despair or be discouraged or depressed. Um, the Bible also tells us that hope deferred makes the heart sick. And, and when it says deferred, that word deferred means a couple of things. It means, number one, hope that is not coming quickly or doesn't come at all. And the only reason why hope is unfulfilled is because it is put in something that can't fulfill it, is not stable or secure or powerful enough to bring to pass what we're hoping in. And, and the only one that has that or is that is God. He's the God of hope. And we don't have to be heart sick when we put our hope in God. Because if we don't see what God has said, God is not finished. And we can hold fast a confident expectation that he's going to bring forth that good. And that's where in, in the scripture it says, may the God of hope. That's, that's the source of true confident expectation of good. God. Uh, fill you with all joy and peace. And that joy is a strength that gives us strength to continue on until we see what God says. It comes to pass, and that peace is a security and stability. So we have strength, security, and stability because of hope, but it's only because we believe. You know, we've got to believe in God. We've got to believe in who he is. We've got to believe in what he said. We've got to believe that he is who the Bible tells us he is. And, and we begun to, began to look at what this hope is in the life of Paul, the Apostle Paul, who um, was in some really difficult situations, and yet he remained hope-filled in some of the most difficult surroundings and circumstances because that hope in Romans or in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, tells us that hope is like an anchor. Or, Hebrews, go ahead and get there. There it is, 619. This hope we have is an anchor to the soul, both sure and steadfast. So this hope is an anchor to our souls. We don't have to have meltdowns. We don't have to be all undone because we have this confident expectation in God. And it is a, it's an anchor sure and steadfast. Um, when it says sure and steadfast, it means that it is uh, unchanging, and immovable. Things are changing so rapidly. We need to have something that stabilizes us. And the only thing that's going to stabilize you and me is God. God and his, his word, his spirit, his plans and purposes. And, and we have to make that choice to, to turn to him or we're going to turn to something else. And whatever else we turn to is not going to be uh, truly uh, able to sustain the hope. It's going to end up disappointing us and we're going to get heart sick but we began to look at the apostle paul's life and and just to bring you up to speed and remind you the apostle paul went through a variety of things in his life but he was always hope-filled he was confident of god no matter what he faced and he faced some really difficult things that he was so confident in god he called them light afflictions when he was stoned and he was beaten with rods and he was he was shipwrecked and in the deep and, and all sorts of things but in chapter 27, we catch up with Paul's life because he was journeying to Rome to stand before Caesar to plead his case that he was being tried in another area, another country, that he knew he wasn't going to get a fair trial. And he said, so I want to go to Rome. And that was part of God's plan because God had for, 
the Apostle Paul not only to witness in Jerusalem and in all these other areas along the way, but also in Rome in front of Caesar, the most powerful man in the world at the time. And, and so this was the process. He was headed towards Rome. They were on a ship, and the ship sailed thinking the people that were in charge thought it was, you know, the best conditions that they could find and immediately got caught in a hurricane. And the ship was in the grips of this hurricane. They didn't see sun or stars for days. And the Bible says that the people on the ship lost all hope in verse 20 of Acts chapter 27. And it, then in verse 22, the Apostle Paul says, now I want you to take hope. It was a strange thing because they had just lost hope. And Paul is still holding on to this confident expectation of God in this very difficult environment situation. He wasn't experiencing something different than what they were. They were all on the same ship being tossed and battered by this hurricane, uh, wondering whether they're going to make it through. But Paul didn't wonder. Paul had a confidence in God a confident expectation of good, of God having his way in his life, even though circumstances and situations did not encourage him in that. And so the people, he had lost hope, but they had lost hope because it was hope in the wrong thing. They were hopeful in their circumstances and situations, what they could understand, what they could perceive. Uh, all of those things finally gave way to, uh, we're hopeless. And Paul said, now, I want you to take hope. And the reason why was until they let go of the hope in the circumstantial things that they were trusting in, they couldn't put hope in the real God that is the God of hope, that they could have a confident expectation in spite of circumstances and situations. I don't know what's going on in your life today, but I can tell you this. If you and I put our confidence, our confident expectation in circumstances and situations and figuring things out and working things out, we're going to be despairing eventually because that's all going to come to an end. We are limited, and all the things of this world are limited except for God. And that's where we have to let go of putting our hope in these other things. Hope deferred or misplaced makes the heart sick. But put our hope in God. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your hope in God. And Paul put his hope in God. And so in this environment, he was hope-filled. And he was telling everybody, now take hope, the God kind of hope, the confident expectation that will not disappoint. That's what the Bible says. God says, those that put their hope in me will never be disappointed. What a statement. It's hard to, to really accept that because we think, well, I don't know if I can really trust. You can trust. You can trust God. He'll never disappoint you. But he also will surprise you. He's not always going to do it the way you and I want him to do it and when we want him to do it. But he'll always, you can count on this, he'll always do it the best way, which is not always the easiest way. It's not always the most familiar or comfortable way. But it is the best because God always does the best. And so the Apostle Paul is standing on the deck of the ship and, and, and it's being tossed to and fro and they're in the dark. They haven't seen the sky or the stars or the sun for days. And he's told them to take hope. And at this point, he begins to talk to everybody, over 270 people on the ship. 
And he begins to tell them why, they, why he has hope. He, he reveals why he has hope. And today we're going to look at this. We've looked at the first three anchors of hope that Paul had. And there aren't just three or four. There's an unlimited number of anchors we can have of hope in God because God is unlimited. We just have to find out in his word who he is and what he does. And hope in God. And when we do, we will not be disappointed. God will be who he said he would be. He'll do what he said he'll do. And you can have and become what he said you can have and become. But this morning we're going to look at, review the three anchors we've already seen and finish up with the fourth anchor that, that the, kept the Apostle Paul hope-filled in this situation. If you would just bow your heads, we're just going to pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your presence. Thank you for your, your provision here today. Father, your word says we don't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of your mouth. And so, Father, I thank you for the privilege and honor to be able to speak your word to your church, to the bride of Christ, because, Lord, you're building your church that the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And we thank you that today, Father, as your word goes forth, your spirit will bear witness in us of what your truth is, and that truth will set us free and keep us free from fear and anxiousness Father, we thank you that your word is life and health to those who find it. I, we thank you for healings today and, and deliverances. We thank you that your word is a light unto our path and a lamp unto our feet. We thank you for not just illumination because of information, but we thank you for revelation as we apply it to our life that will bring transformation, that will change, will be changing and going from faith to faith and glory to glory. And Father, we thank you also that you said, you would confirm your word with signs and wonders following. Lord, whatever it is, we know that, that you will supply every need according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And so we look to you today. We listen for you today so that we'll receive from you today what will fortify us now and prepare us for what's ahead. And we thank you, Father, for this. In Jesus' name, and everyone said... Amen. So in, we're picking this up in Acts chapter 27, verse 30, 23 through 25. And, and this is what it says. For there stood by me, this is the Apostle Paul speaking, this night an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I've served, saying, don't be afraid, Paul. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has guaranteed you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe that it will be just as it was told me. So the first anchor we see and we talked about is the anchor of confidence, this hope in God's presence. He said, for there stood by me this night an angel of, of the God whom I belong. And the angel represented God. It was to make sure Paul knew that God was with him. God was aware. You know, sometimes we blame God that he doesn't know what's going on in our lives. Oh, well, I guess we don't. Sometimes I blame God thinking that God doesn't know and I've got to explain to him all the details of what's going on in my life. But that's just foolishness. There's nothing that escapes God. He knows everything. He knows everything about us, what we're going through, what we went through, what's ahead of us. And he also knows the provision he has for us to fortify us to be able to overcome. And, and so the first anchor is a hope, a confident expectation in God's presence. And we know because we, we looked at the scriptures, and if you weren't here, you can get the messages online. But we know that the Bible says, Jesus told us, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
Jesus promised to us, my father and I will come and make our home in you. And, and so we, once we have come to faith in Christ, we receive his forgiveness, we receive his lordship. The Bible says that he comes to indwell us by his spirit. There is the spirit of God that lives in you and me as believers that will never leave. This Holy Spirit is there. That's an amazing thing. And yet we, we encounter things and we experience things and sometimes we're crying out to God as if we got to get his attention. Man, he's right there with you. Not only is he there with you and what you're going through, he knows more about what's going on than you do. And he is able to do much more than you can. But we've got to be confident that God's there. That is the number one thing we have to be confident in, that God's right there. Because if not, we're going to be unsure everything we face. Is God around? Is God too busy? Is, is, does he care? And that leads us to the second anchor that we see. He said, the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. The second anchor is the anchor of hope in relationship. Our relationship with God. God's relationship with us. You know, our relationship with God. God has loved us with an everlasting love. When we receive Christ into our lives as Lord of our lives, receive the forgiveness for our sins, it doesn't change the love of God. But at that point, we know we have a living relationship and we come to that place of being able to begin to comprehend that God loves us. God loves us no matter what we do. The Bible says the Spirit of God floods our heart with his love. When we know God loves us, that we're priceless and valuable to God, our value to God is equal to Jesus Christ because that's what he exchanged for you and me. When we become confident of that, man, there's a security. There's a stability in our lives. There's a confidence in our lives no matter what we face. That's what he loves. If he gave his son for me, what is he not going to do? And the answer is nothing. He won't withhold any good thing. But also, our, who is God to us? That's part of the relationship. Not just who we are to him, but who is he to us? And when we know and we're, we're aware and we, we believe and are confident in the fact that he is our good father, our perfect heavenly father who gives only good gifts. Every good and perfect gift comes from him. And we know that, that the Bible tells us that Jesus came uh, to give us life and life more abundant, but it also tells us that there's somebody else that wants to give us some things. He wants to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's our enemy. And we, be, we can be confident that God gives good things. He doesn't give bad things. But see, sometimes we as Christians, we get confused. We get deceived. And we think, well, you know, God's, God's just doing that to, to get my attention. God doesn't do bad things to get your attention. A lot of the times, the things we experience, we experience because we chose what we chose or the enemy's attacking the way he attacks. But God, in the midst of those things, wants to redeem them, wants to turn them for good. And we can be confident of that. But that's where we, we have to be confident in that God's there and that we have a relationship that is a life-giving relationship with him. And the third anchor that we looked at came from when Paul said uh, 
The angel told him, don't be afraid. You must be brought before Caesar. And indeed, God has granted you all those who sail with you. Therefore, take heart, men, for I believe, God, that it will be just as it was told me. So Paul is hearing the angel say, first of all, don't be afraid. God never wants us to be afraid. God never wants us to be anxious. And the moment we do, we've got to be very aware immediately that we've lost sight of God. We've lost confidence and faith in God. All of a sudden, we're being swayed and, and looking at our problems, the obstacles, the opposition, instead of God, our provider. And, and in this moment, the third anchor was the confident expectation, the hope that he had in the plans and promises of God, what God had said to him. Uh, back in, in a couple of verses or chapters earlier, uh, the, the Lord told him that he would go to Rome. He would be going to Rome to witness in Rome just like he had witnessed for Christ in Jerusalem. Now look, this was God's plan, but it wasn't easy. It wasn't fun, but it was best because people's lives were being impacted. And so he was confident that, that God's plan and God's promises were going to come to pass. You and I have to become confident. He said, I believe that what was told me will be just as I heard. You and I, we have a part in this, this partnership with God. God God has promises. God has plans for you. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, plans for good and not for evil with a future and a hope, a confident expectation. But you have to believe it. I have to believe it. I can't believe it for you. You have the final say in your life, and I have the final say in my life. And if I don't believe it, I can't receive it. And that's where this is the battle of faith. We're supposed to fight the good fight of faith holding on tenaciously to what God's plans are for us and what God's promises are for us. And there is no limit to the promises of God. Throughout the Bible, God has promised us that we can be certain things and we can do certain things and we can have certain things, and it's all to point towards him and it's to impact the people around us. It's to bless our lives. Just like God said to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, but in blessing you, I'm going to make you a blessing to all other people. God wants your life blessed, but he doesn't want it in isolation. God wants that blessing to flood your life and begin to overflow in the people around you, saved and unsaved, so that there would be a continuous ripple effect. And that brings us to the fourth anchor. There, these three anchors were were so sure and stable in Paul that no matter how bad things got, he still had a confidence. Man, it's going to be okay. God's going to have his way. But this fourth anchor, we catch up to this in verse 33, and it tells us that this was uh, 14 days later. It says, and as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them to take food, saying, today is 14, the 14th day you have waited and continued without food, eating nothing. Therefore, I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from your head, of, from the head of any of you. I should have been on that ship. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then... They were all encouraged, and they took food for themselves. So in this moment, Paul is, is standing there, nothing's changed. And Paul says, you know, it's been 14 days. 
that you haven't seen the sun, you haven't been able to eat, whether it was because uh, they were afraid or they were seasick, whatever reason, they were growing weaker and weaker. And he said, you need to take bread for your survival. Nourishment, this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. And when he said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. He didn't do it off in the corner. In front of them all, he gave thanks to God. Now, doesn't this sound like kind of a crazy moment? You know, the ship is just out of control. They haven't eaten for whatever reason. He finds bread, he takes the bread, he breaks it, and he gives thanks to God. Now, I'm sure that there were some people watching him saying, this guy's nuts. How can you thank God in a storm? Because so many times we are so reliant on our surroundings and our circumstances, we find it hard to give thanks to God. But understand this, giving thanks to God will help you get through those things. And if you and I can't give thanks to God, there is not something wrong with everybody else. There's something that's misaligned in us. Because in the middle of that storm, has God changed? Is God still a good God? Is he still a God that gives abundant life? Is he still a God that redeems to the uttermost? We cannot let the things of this world impact us and rob us of confidence in God because God's not changed. But what it will rob us of, if it robs us of confidence in God, it'll rob us of the provision of God. And so he gave thanks. He broke the bread and he gave thanks. Now, he tells them, you need to eat too. And why does he tell them that? Because it was for their survival. But can you imagine them thinking, what do you mean survival? We're not going to make it out of here. Why do I need a bit of bread in my belly? I'm not going to make it another day. But Paul is telling them, you need you need." You need nourishment because this is not your last day. It's kind of like what happened. There was a, a young boy that was badly burned, very badly burned, that was in the hospital. And in this hospital and in this, this area, uh, they had determined to have a traveling teacher that would go to the hospitals to children that were in extended situations at the hospitals to help them stay current on their studies. And there was one teacher that was sent to this hospital, this particular little boy, and uh, uh, she was not prepared for what she was about to see. And she walked into the room and it shocked her, but she didn't let on, it shocked her. And she did everything she could to hold it together. And, and she said to the little boy, I'm here to help you keep up on your studies. Today, we're working on adverbs and verbs. And sat there and went through the lesson plan with this little boy and left. And when she left, she just fell apart. And she didn't know how she could go back the next day. And, and she came into the hospital, went up to the floor where the little boy was. And before she could get to his room, all sorts of nurses ran up to her and said, what'd you do to him? And she was like, I don't know. I, I, I was just here teaching my plan. I was just here trying to keep him up to speed with what his studies were. They said, oh, no, no, no. He's changed. And she said, well, how's he changed? 
He's fighting back. He wants to live. She said, I didn't do anything. All I taught about was adverbs and verbs. And they went into the little boy's room. And the nurse accompanied the teacher, and she said to him, why, why is there such a change? He said, well, I was thinking about it when the teacher left. And I, I, I knew I was going to die, but when the teacher left, I thought, why would they send a teacher to teach adverbs and verbs to a little boy that was going to die, and I knew I wasn't going to die? I want you to know it's not over until God says, until God has his way. And so he told him, you need to take nourishment because this isn't your last day. Paul had confidence. And what did he do? What did he do because he had confidence? He gave thanks. He gave thanks to God. That makes no sense to us because we're usually thankful for what's happened, not what's happening. And, and if we look at what's happening, we don't want to give thanks because it's not what we want. You know, we're coming rapidly up on the one day a year that we in North America celebrate Thanksgiving. One day. And, and the United States and Canada celebrate it, and they're copying us. <laughs> if you're Canadian, don't get upset with me. But, but understand that, that when we think about Thanksgiving, there shouldn't be one day. It should be multiple times a day because of all God's done for us and is doing for us and will do for us because we have a confidence in what his plan and promises are, that his presence is with us and he loves us and he wants the best for us. But right here, he gives thanks and that's the third anchor, this confidence in God doing what he said. Thanksgiving, begin to give thanksgiving. Why, why is that? In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, it says this. And, and make sure you read what's here, not what's not here. What's the first word? In. In. Okay. In everything, give thanks. Do you notice it doesn't say for everything? There's no for up there. In everything, because everything that happens to you is not God doing it to you. There are some Christians today that are so confused and deceived into thinking everything that comes to me is God's will. It's not. The enemy has a plan for you. He's trying to steal, kill, and destroy. When cancer comes to somebody... It's not God's will. Sickness isn't God's will. You can tell that because when you get to heaven, are you going to find cancer there? Are you going to find sickness there? Are you going to find sorrow there? Are you going to find poverty there? No. And if it's not there, it shouldn't be here. And we can stand on that. And so in everything, give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But, but pastor, you don't understand. You just read it. You just, you just contradicted yourself. Give thanks in everything for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, if you look at this and you read this and you understand this, it's not giving thanks for everything that's happening for you because it's the will of God. The will of God is that you would give thanks in what's happening to you, not for what's happening to you. 
Well, why, why, why should I give thanks in what's happening to me? What, what, what's the difference in or for? There's a huge difference. If you give thanks for what's happening to you, then you're welcoming it. Okay, I guess this is mine. When it's not and the enemy's behind it. When you give thanks in it, it does something radically different. In the midst of what's going on, in the midst of the storm, the Apostle Paul paused and gave thanks to God because he knew this isn't the end. This is what's going on, but it's not what God has for us. This is borne out in Psalm. The Psalm chapter 69 Verse 30, it says this, I will praise the name of God in a song. You did that this morning. And will magnify him with thanksgiving. You know, it's not easy to praise God when you're going through something difficult. Because what we want to do is we want to focus on what's happening in our lives. And we want to say, God, this isn't fair. God, do something. And we start complaining and moaning and groaning and whining. How many of you know God doesn't, God hears it, it touches God's heart, but God doesn't act on it. What moves God is faith. And so we've got to operate in faith. But he says, I will praise the name of God with a song and I will magnify him with thanksgiving. In the midst of what you're going through, God needs to be magnified. And the way God's magnified, and what does magnifying mean? Enlarging. Can you over-magnify God? No, no matter how big you make God or, or speak of God, he's always bigger. Now, your problems come at you, your circumstances and situations come at you, and, and they come fast. The Bible says when the enemy comes in like a flood. You know, he's there to take you off your feet and take you down. But the scripture goes on to say, but God lifts up a standard against him. There's something that's lifted up, and that is unchanging. And that's him and his word. And, and so your, your, your problems, your circumstances, the attack of the enemy, whatever you're battling comes at you. Now, I want you to do something for me. I need everybody to participate. I want you to stretch your arm out. Don't hit the person in front of you. Stretch your arm out. Now, turn your hand open towards your face. You guys are doing great. You at home do this. Come on. Now I want you to look at your hand and now begin to pan the room. Can you see most of the room? Right. Now bring your hand closer to you. Closer to your face. Closer to your face. Keep going. Don't freak out. Keep going. Right there. Right up at your nose. What happened to the room? It seemed to disappear. You couldn't see it. It, it blocked your vision. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to bring your problems so close into you that you can't see anything else and especially God. And what he does is he tries to magnify your problems. Sometimes we blow up our problems to be so much bigger than what they are. We're making mountains out of See, even the world knows that. Mountains out of molehills. 
And what we have to do when the enemy's pushing this stuff towards us, like this is it, this is the end, you'll never get out of this, this will never get fixed, and it's getting closer and closer and closer, and all of a sudden we're starting to just only be able to see the problem. We need to push it back and magnify God by thanking him. Well, how can I thank him when things are going wrong? How could Paul thank him when the boat was being held and tossed and battered by a hurricane? Because Paul wasn't looking at the hurricane. Paul was remembering the God who had been faithful to him when he had been stoned to death and then raised up and then when he had been beaten by rods and when all these things had happened, God had been faithful and the God who was faithful will be faithful. See, that's why God told Israel when they went through into the promised land to take a rock from the middle of where they went through on dry ground that had been flooded with water and take those rocks and pile them up because when they were on the other side, it would be easy for them to forget what God had done. You know, it's so easy for us to forget what God's done. And you and I need rock piles. We need those piles of rocks of remembrance of what God did that was amazing in our lives. Because every time they walked past that pile out to conquer the promised land, they remembered God, God supernaturally brought us through these waters that were impassable. When our enemies were all around us, we walked through on dry ground. And when our enemies tried to pursue us, the waters came back in and wiped them out. The God that did that will take care of us where we're going. I want you to know you have a God that is unchanging. He's faithful. And as we give thanks, we begin to magnify him. And our, our perspective of our problems starts to get what it should be. There is no problem. There is no lifetime of problems that's anywhere equal to how big and how good your God is. That's why in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it tells us, be anxious for nothing. Again, this is God encouraging us, don't fear, don't be anxious, don't stress out, don't melt, melt down. Well, how can you say that, God? You don't know what I'm going through. Yeah. He knows what we're going through. And guess what? He's right there with you, able to do far more than anyone or anything else could do. But he says, be anxious for nothing, but in what? What does that leave out? Correct. So this is, this is what God's word is telling us, again, through, gee, who wrote this? The Apostle Paul. In everything, by prayer, supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Prayer, supplication, that's us telling God, you know, this is what we need, please God. Now, God knows what you need before you ever ask, but he wants us to interact with him. But he wants us to do it in faith. And faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We've got to have a basis to approach God. We come boldly to the throne of grace to find mercy and receive grace to help in time of need. But we come to him expectant, boldly expectant, expectant because we have hope. 
We have hope because we know he's with us. We have hope because we know he loves us and, and, and he's a good father to us. We have hope because his promises and his plans are set and they're good, not for evil, with a future full of hope. And so we, we pray and we present these things, but with thanksgiving, with thanksgiving. Because if you and I are going to pray in faith, we believe we receive it before we ever see it. That's when we're able to say in that moment, God, I'm bringing you this, but I know. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Why? Because God is faithful. Oh, you guys, come on. God is good. God is faithful. And I'm telling you right now, until we settle these things, we're going to be struggling instead of snuggling all our lives. God was, doesn't want you struggling. He wants you to have a confidence. Just snuggle into him. Enter into the rest of faith. Realize that you have an ally, an advocate that is greater far greater and has already defeated your adversary. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. Why, why do we give thanks? Well, these, these, there are going to be two scriptures. They won't be up on the screen. So, you know, either get, get the, uh, go back and, and find out what this is or write it down right now. 1 Corinthians 15, 57 says, thanks be to God. Well, thanks be to God for what? who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives you the victory. Then in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it says, Thanks be to God, who always leads us in triumph in Christ Jesus. When, when it says triumph, we don't really understand what that means, because in those days they did, because they used to have triumphal parades or processions after their army had gone out and conquered a foe, usually another nation that had a king. And what they would do is when they came back after completely overwhelming their, their foe, they would come in and in the line behind the, the army would be the king in chains, all of his noble people, there would be animals from that kingdom. There would be produce from that kingdom, which was showing them all of that is now theirs. They have all the spoils of that. And they would take the king and this procession, this triumphal procession to a place in the, the kingdom. And they would put the king down on the ground in the dirt with his face. And the general would go up and stick his foot on the neck of the king and show them he was completely under the feet of not just him, but the whole kingdom. I want you to know the enemy's under your feet. God has led you in triumph. Whatever you face, God's already got a victory for you. Now, understand it's not going to necessarily happen the way you want it to happen or in the time frame you want it to happen, but God has the right time for everything and the right way for everything. And there's more at stake than just our comfort and convenience. Just like in this, Paul was on this ship. It wasn't just about Paul being saved. All the people not only needed to be saved from the storm, but needed to come to saving confidence, hope in Christ, just like Paul did. 
And what's, what, 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 what benefit comes from this? Well, we've got joy and peace, right? We've learned that. But in the scriptures in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 7 and 8, it tells us this. Blessed is the man whose trust is in the Lord in, and whose hope is the Lord. That's who our hope is, the Lord. Now look at what the results of, of trusting God and having God as our hope. He is who we're confident in. It says... For he, he who? No, this is talking about the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. Now, who is that? It can be any one of us. Any one of us can choose this. There's no exclusion. There's open inclusion, but it takes a choice. We've got to believe. Sometimes we think, well, you know, Pastor Gabe and Judy, they're blessed all the time. They're just God's pets. They're God's favorites. No, I will tell you something about Pastor Gabe and Judy. They probably have as many or more battles than most of you. But the thing they do is they put their trust in God. Their hope is in God. They are tenaciously holding on in faith on the promises of God on the plans of God, on the presence of God, on their relationship with God, and they give thanks in the midst of whatever's going on. And because of that, they are just determined they are not letting go until they see what God has said. They're not his favorites, but they are pleasing to him because they walk by faith. And you can be the same thing. You can be, we can all be his favorites, and we can all be pleasing to him if we walk in faith, but we have to have a confidence. These anchors. It says, for he'll be like a tree planted by the waters which spread out its roots by the river and will not fear when he comes. But its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will cease from yielding fruit. So we see right here that, that God's word says that if we'll trust in God and make God our hope, this is what we're going to be like. We're going to be like a tree that's planted by the waters. Nothing can pull us away from the waters. That our, our, the, the roots will spread out by the river, will not fear when heat comes, will not be anxious in the year of drought. Again, no, no having to melt down. No having to be stressed out. No having to be overwhelmed or anxious, or fearful again. Well, I don't know if that's possible. It is. If, if you can't imagine in heaven you walking down the street and being anxious, or stressed out, or fearful, or having meltdowns, don't, didn't Jesus teach people to pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No meltdowns there. Doesn't want meltdowns here. No fear there. No fear here. No anxiousness there. No anxiousness here. Is it possible? Yes, but we've got to believe. We've got to believe. And we can. We choose to believe all sorts of things every day. But it's a matter of believing what's true. Having a hope, a confidence in God. And being filled with that joy and peace. A tree planted 
by the waters which spreads out its roots by the rivers and will not fear when heat comes. Its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will it cease from yielding fruit. So what it's saying is environmentally, whatever you're experiencing, whatever you're surrounded by, whatever is coming at you doesn't have to affect what's going on in you. And that's exactly what, what Peter was saying when he said, you know, you've got to be prepared to be able to give an answer in 1 Peter 3.15, give an answer to everyone who asks you for the reason for the hope you have. Why do you have a confidence? Why do you have a peace? Why do you have a, a joy? Why, why, why? Because you shouldn't. And we tell them. It's not about us. It's about God who's with us and for us, and we can, we can depend on him. But it says, in the year of drought, not a week, this is extended, difficult circumstances. It's not going to affect you. And true story, we, we lived in California for a while, and, and one of the things about California is that um, the water rights are very limited California is overbuilding for the amount of water it has. And so you have to get a permit to make sure you secure water rights before you build a development. And prior to that, they could use the water however they wanted to. And there was a man that was an almond farmer. And uh, after the restrictions were put on that they could only water at certain times, their, even their crops, his crops were always good. He always had really lush-looking trees, had bumper crops of almonds, and, and they started an investigation. Some of, some of his other farmers said, he's, he's siphoning off water. We don't know when, but he's stealing water because his crops aren't like our crops. And they weren't. They were totally different. And so they did an investigation, and they found out that it had nothing to do with what was going on right then. This man, when these trees were very young and very small, he would, when he would water them, he would just saturate the ground. And then he would go weeks without watering them. And then he would saturate the ground and go weeks without watering them. And, and what had happened was he was smart enough to know that if he withheld the water for a while, the roots of those trees would find another source. It would go deep enough down to the source that wasn't affected by sur surface droughts. And so now the drought came because the roots were deep enough, it looked like he was cheating, but he wasn't. See, you and I need to get our roots down deep into God. We need to have a confidence, a confident expectation, a hope, a trust, a faith in God before the storm comes, before the drought comes. You know, sometimes the way we operate is when things are good, we kind of coast. We're not as motivated to read our Bible, are we? Okay, I'm not. We're not as motivated to pray because we're not in that... Uh, of our need for God, although our need for God never changes, we need him all the time for everything. But our circumstances don't, don't tell that to us. Most of the times we need to really dig into God. But when the storms come, we want to dig in. But it's real hard to dig in when you're being tossed. Right? And so this says... 
Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is the Lord, has been the Lord. This is the result. And this isn't the only place. Another portion of scripture that's probably familiar to all of you, but not this way, is uh, Isaiah 40, verse, verse 31. Usually we read it in the King James. Those that wait upon the Lord, right, will renew their strength. They will mount up with wings as eagles. They'll run and not grow weary and walk and not faint. But the NIV says it a little bit different, and this is a little more accurate because when it says wait upon, it's the same as hope. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. God of all hope will fill you with joy, all joy, strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not be faint. God wants this for everyone. But not everyone will have it because not everyone will hope. Those who hope in the Lord. Their strength will be renewed. That means you'll be able to go through whatever you encounter. Because not, God's not done until what he said is seen. They'll soar on wings like eagles. I don't know if you know this or not, but one of the characteristics of eagles is when they have a storm approaching them, they fly towards the storm. And then they do something that's Unique, pretty unique to, to birds, they lock their wings in a certain position. And as they hit that storm, one of the things about storms is there's always updrafts. And when they hit that updraft, all of a sudden, the power of that storm lifts the eagle over the storm. God wants to lift you. Now, you may not go over it where you don't experience it, but you're going to be lifted to the point where you can go through it because he's with you and for you. Another thing about an eagle is when they mount up with wings as eagles, when they go up, the eagle can get a vantage point because their eyesight is so amazing. They fly so high to get a bigger perspective. One of the things you and I need is a bigger perspective. We need God's perspective. And God sees it as it really is. And no matter what's going on, God knows that there is a victory, there is a provision, there is a power, there is a peace for you in the midst of whatever you're facing and whatever you will face so that the people around you see something different in you. Anchors, we all need them. We all have the opportunity to hope in God, be confident in these very unstable, fast-changing, uncertain days. And it's not just about you having a confidence, it's people seeing you have a confidence and, and wondering how is that possible and you being able to explain to them, I have a confidence in God. My hope is in the Lord. That's why I'm not troubled, I'm not stressed, I'm not distressed, I'm not fearful, I'm not anxious, because my God is with me and for me.
and can be with you and for you. Like every head bowed, every eye closed. These anchors that we see Paul had, you can have. But there are other anchors in, in the word of God that you can have a confident expectation of, of good or what God has said and what God has promised. But it's really hard to have a confidence in somebody you don't know. See, God knows you. God knows everything about you. There's not anything hidden before him. But God wants you and me to come to that place where we have a relationship. And our fellowship with him causes us to become more intimate with him, more aware of him, more trusting in him, more hopeful in him. And that doesn't just happen just because you go to church or because you read your Bible or you pray. It happens because we invite God, just like any relationship. They happen because we engage. We encounter and we engage. And today, if you've never, ever chosen to engage God, and when I say that, you recognize who Jesus is, that he is the son of God that came to earth, lived a sinless life, and died on the cross to pay the price for your sins, and that you invite him to be Lord of your life that you wouldn't have that pressure and all the struggle that you have trying to run your own life and take care of yourself, which you realize you don't do well all the time. But God, who is perfect, who is all-powerful, all-knowing, and always present, has plans for you that are for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. If you've never turned and trusted in Christ today, I invite you to invite Christ to come into your life, to be Lord of your life. We're going to pray a prayer together, and I'd invite you all to pray with me this morning. You at home pray. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who came into this earth, lived a sinless life, went to the cross, and died to pay the price for my sin. Today, Lord Jesus, I repent. I ask you to forgive me, cleanse me, come into my life, be Lord of my life. From this day forward, I am yours, you are mine. Guide me, govern me, guard me in Jesus' name. Amen, amen, amen. Now, we, we clap, and we, we're doing a better job of it, but there's a huge celebration going on in the throne room of God. For those of you that, that made that decision to receive Christ as your Lord, it's, listen, for all of us, we need to remember, this is a beginning. It's not, the only thing that ends at this point is the power of sin is broken in our lives. That's a great thing. And I don't want to make light of that, but it's a new beginning for us to learn this whole new way, new and living way to walk in. And it's, it's knowing who God is and walking with him and trusting him and, and having him as our hope. It's a beginning and we need each other. We need the word of God. We need the spirit of God. We need to encourage one another every day. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?
Remember, there are all sorts of sign-ups out there. Um, ladies' ministry, last day to sign up. Don't miss it, ladies. It's going to be a great time. Guys, you're just starting. Get on the list as soon as you can because it's going to close out quick. There is Operation Christmas Child. And uh, what else? Oh, new members class. Yeah. If you've been here or, or just came, you know, we invite you to come tonight, find out more about us. It may make it more clear to you whether this is the place that you're supposed to be. And if it is, then make the commitment and become a part of the body here. But if it's not, you know, this place isn't for everybody, but it is for some people. And I'm grateful for those of you that have, have recognized that. If it's not, then I, I'm going to say this as lovingly as I can, and I don't always do it well, but I'll try really hard. If this is not the place for you, don't stay sitting here. Find where God has for you. Because wherever it is, you're going to be a blessing there to them. And they're going to be a blessing to you. But we in our society today are really hesitant on commitment. And I'm telling you, the kingdom of God is all about commitment. God so loved us, the world, that he gave his son. He committed to everything before we ever made a commitment back. We, as God's people, need to be people of commitments, and we keep our commitments. Amen? Amen. Well, oh, do you know what this week is? This is the week God has for you to walk with him and to know him, to love him and be loved by him, and to make him known to all the people around you. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you for each one of your children. Those that are here in the sanctuary, those that are listening and watching online. Father, I thank you for your presence that goes with us, but also goes ahead of us and prepares the way. Your presence that is our rear guard. And that, Father, you, you uphold us in the midst of everything going on. You uphold us and strengthen us and secure us with your right hand of righteousness, your hand of blessing. And you cover us. You cover us with your songs, songs of love and of life and of deliverance, of, of security and stability, of, of blessing and plans that you have for good and not for evil with a future and a hope. Lord, help us walk out this week knowing that you're with us. Help us to know you and make you known to all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great week.